Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 1. I'll read the passage for us. For since the law has but a shadow of the good of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. May God bless the reading of his word. Now let's turn our attention over to Pastor Jeff. Good morning, my friends. At Christmas, we remember that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came among us. He condescended, he became human, he took on human flesh. As our passage says, a body you have prepared for me. Uh, one of our Christmas hymns uh, by Charles Wesley, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, puts it this way, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail to the incarnate deity, pleased as a man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He took on a body, and why did he do this? Well, for many reasons, he came among us in order to sympathize, to empathize with us in our fallen world. He came and took a body um, in order to provide an example for us, to leave us uh, the way, the, the path, the way, so we could follow in his steps. But the primary teaching of Holy Scripture for why he came among us was to die for us. The doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. He took a body in order to give his body as a sacrifice for our sins. Now, our passage has an interesting way of discussing this theology. It uh, uses a metaphor of a shadow. Look at verse 1. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the 
true form of these realities. The idea is that the old covenant, the old system of animal sacrifice, um, bulls and goats and lambs and pigeons, and uh, that, that old system was just a shadow representing the substance, the, the, the reality, which is Jesus' death. Uh, let's think about a shadow for a minute. Here's a picture of a shadow. Can you tell what the object is casting the shadow? I'll show it to you in just a second. Some of you may recognize it. Let's go to the next slide. As the shadow of the great obelisk, the great pillar outside of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The obelisk is the reality, and it casts a shadow. It has the same general outline. Uh, if you're familiar with the reality, you might guess at what is pictured in the outline of the shadow, but it's thin. It has no substance. You can't pick up a shadow. You may not recognize uh, the reality behind it. And in the same way, so our passage says animal sacrifice was a picture, the general outline, but not until Jesus came and died on the cross did we recognize, oh, okay, I get it. I see what all of that old covenant, all that old system of sacrifice was pointing toward. So the shadow casts a not a reflection, but it blocks the light. And so we see just an outline of what is being pictured. Look then at uh, verse 1 uh, again. Because the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices of the Old Testament could never take away sin, at least not in the same way that Jesus' death did. Hebrews 10.4 says the same thing. In, um, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In fact, the result of that uh, system of animal sacrifice was simply uh, to remind people regularly, season after season, year after year, to remind them of their sin. They had to offer these sacrifices continuously. Uh, chapter 10, verse 3 says, In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So let me explain. Um, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Jewish community would offer an animal. Uh, blood would be shed. And maybe the community felt good after that. Maybe they felt like, yes, our sins are covered. We have peace with God. But uh, no, because other sacrifices had to be made throughout the year. A dove, a goat, a sheep, a bull. And there were so many sacrifices, so much bloodshed. And then the next year, the next Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, another sacrifice. And so it went season after season, year after year. It never stopped. 
So when the Jewish worshipers saw that animal being uh, sacrificed, it just reminded them, well, I'm a sinner. Uh, I didn't stop sinning last year. And another sacrifice has to be made. It may be a, an analogy might be if uh, in your office, maybe you have, you have a jar perhaps in a, maybe the break room in a central place. And anytime anyone at your office says something bad, they have to put a, a coin in the jar. Uh, whoa, whoops, a little swear word uh, erupted there. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, oh, a complaint, a complaint about the boss. And uh -oh, someone else was uh, gossiping. And, you know, this actually doesn't stop <laughs> the bad words from coming out, does it? And as it fills up, it just reminds people that they have no control over their tongue. It doesn't actually fix the problem. And so this system of animal sacrifice was just a shadow. It pointed to a deeper reality. C.S. Lewis, Lewis would say a deeper magic, which was the death of Jesus as an atoning sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Now today, we don't offer animals, obviously. Today we have a different ways of uh, dealing with our imperfections. We use uh, religion, uh, we use human effort and good deeds to try to cover for our sins, but it, it doesn't work. I'm not against good deeds, I'm just saying it doesn't cleanse your soul and make you right with God and perfect in his eyes. And yet we depend on these religions. And not, not just religious um, sentiment, it is a secular sentiment also. For example, the secular humanist uh, manifesto says no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. And of course, they, when, they, when, they, when it says uh, salvation, it's not talking about like heaven and hell. It's talking about making earth into a heaven and, and uh, pulling ourselves up by own, our own bootstraps. No deity is going to do that. We've got to save ourselves. Science, technology, medicine, progress, philosophy, the arts. And once again, we're all in favor of those things, but I don't think they can save us. They haven't yet in the history of humanity. But what about the religious version of this, uh, this instinct to work hard and save ourselves and, and uh, uh, pull ourselves up by our own spiritual uh, bootstraps? Well, consider the five pillars of Islam. Uh, uh, prayer and fasting, giving alms, uh, and so forth. Islam says at its core, if you obey, if you are righteous, if you do these five uh, keystone uh, activities of is Islam, then perhaps Allah will have mercy. And so it tells us do more, do better, pray, give money, recite the creed. And consider the Eightfold Path of Buddhism, 
right? Right speech, right concentration, right intentions, right this, right that. Do it, do it. And then you will achieve uh, not heaven in the Christian uh, sense of uh, or the theology, but enlightenment and peace, and you'll come uh, to, to rest. But it all depends on you. Right speech, right intentions, right conduct. This uh, instinct to save ourselves is deep in the heart of humanity, secular religious. It is also present uh, in the hearts of many Christians. Am, am I right? I'm thinking of, uh, I, don't, I don't think a Christian would ever say, you have to save yourself, but in practice, do more, do better, obey, uh, sacrifice, follow the rules, then God will save you. Those versions of Christianity, as I say, they would, they would never say bluntly, you have to save yourself. But in practice, God will forgive your sins if you deserve it. So religion is spelled D-O, do, do more, do better, watch out, practice the, the rituals. But good works can never earn our salvation. It is just, religion is just a shadow pointing to something different, deeper, more substantial, something real. That was true of the Old Covenant. It is true in our day today. In the 1960s, the Markham Bridge was constructed in Portland, Oregon, over the Willamette River. In its day, it was a bit of, a, of an engineering marvel. It's a double-decker bridge with traffic on top going one direction, traffic on the uh, the second level going another direction. And it's the I-5 bridge, the Interstate 5 bridge. Well, when it was built in the 1960s, they had planned uh, for it to connect to an east-west freeway. It was going to be called the Mount Hood Freeway. And uh, there was an exit uh, up there, way up high, 60, 80 feet above the Willamette River, an exit on the bridge that would take you to the Mount Hood Freeway. As a matter of fact, they never did build the freeway. Uh, the taxpayers of Oregon opted for a light rail system instead. But the exit on the Markham Bridge is still there. Now, it's all blocked off. You, if you're driving there, you wouldn't even notice it's there. But uh, structurally, there's an exit there on the Markham Bridge. All right. Let's say you're up high, you're up on the top level of the Markham, Markham Bridge, and you see out there to the east beautiful Mount Hood. Uh, shining like a gem with its, with its perfect pyramid shape. And your deepest desire is that you want to go to Mount Hood. But how to get there? Oh, 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 wait a minute. You're on the Markham Bridge. You know that there was that, uh, that exit and, and it, it, it's coming up. It's coming up. 
And so you rev the engine, you floor it, you give it all you've got and you burst through the barrels and the barriers and you go off the edge of the exit. How far are you gonna get? Mount Hood is about 60 miles away. Now, I grant that some of you will get farther than others of us because your moral engine is bigger and you're a better person, but you know, none of us is gonna get very far. You understand my analogy. You can try, you can rev your engine, you can fine tune your engine, you can burst through the barrels, do more, do better, pray, be good, sacrifice. And those are good things, but there is a great gulf, great distance to Mount Hood. The Bible says we have a great debt, a debt of sin that we've accumulated against God. The Bible says we have alienated ourselves. So we're like strangers. It even goes as far as to say enemies of God. The Bible says we belong to another family and we need to be adopted into that, into his family. And how is that going to happen? What does the Bible say? What does our passage say? You prepared a body for him so that he would give that body as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look at chapter 10, verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, the old animal sacrifices, but a body you have prepared for me. All the religious sacrifices were pointing to Jesus, and that's what we remember at Christmas. He took a body and offered that body. Born of the Virgin Mary, laid to rest in a cattle stall, in a manger, noticed by shepherds, heralded by angels. What child is this who's laid to rest on Mary's lap and is sleeping? The Bible says he was swaddled that means he was wrapped up. One of the first things that new parents learn in the hospital is how to wrap, how to swaddle <laughs> your baby. Uh, it's sort of like making a burrito. You wrap them all up and you fold the, the blanket this way and that, and they like to have that security. The babies do, the infants like to have their arms pinned, but uh, they're very helpless. You could pick them up and take them and put them here and set them down, go here and there. And this is how he came. The king of the universe came in a manger, swaddled. One of the playwrights from, the, uh, from a long time ago said he stooped in order to conquer. 
He came and took a body in order to lay down that body as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Aren't you glad he did this? Don't you praise the Lord that he took the initiative to do for us what all of our religion and good behavior and all our rule keeping, it, it just couldn't, it couldn't bridge that gulf. So in love, he sent his son. As I say, he took a body in order to give that body for you and me. Now you may ask, well, how does this actually work? How does the death of the Son of God, a brutal, a mean death, shedding of his blood, how does his death on the cross somehow cancel my debt and give me new life and uh, you know, justify me as if we were in a courtroom and declare me not guilty? How does that work? And you know what? Christian theology has wrestled with that question for, for thousands of years, and there are different theories. They call it theories of the atonement. But the idea is that he substituted in some way. When God saw his death, God's anger and wrath and displeasure at sin was poured out on his son, the Bible says he became sin for us there in a great spiritual transaction on the cross. Isaiah says, by his wounds we are healed. Not sure exactly how that works, but this is what God has done for us. He has canceled our, our debt. He has adopted us strangers into his family. He has healed our sickness. He replaces our shame with the honor of his son. When he died and he rose again and God vindicated him and put his stamp of approval on him saying, I will not leave him to rot in the grave. I will raise him again to live eternally. We were somehow included in that. We are hidden with Christ. Our life is hidden in his. So chapter 10, verse 10 puts it this way. We have been sanctified through the offering of, Jesus, of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so at Christmas, we remember paradoxically the death of Jesus. He came among us, lived among us, and never sinned and lived the life we should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died. He died and rose again for our justification. And by doing that, he did what religion can never do. Praise the Lord. Thank him. Honor him. Sing to him. Worship him. Tell others about him. This is called grace unmerited favor, the kindness of God in taking the, taking the initiative to save us. So let me see if I can put it all together here. Good works, religion, you know, sacrificing animals, whatever, right intentions, right prayer, right thoughts, whatever, right speech. Good, uh, good works says save yourself. 
But gospel, the good news says, we can't save ourselves. So God prepared a body for him. He, be, he became an offering for the sins of all people, all times, all places. Good works says, do more, do better, try harder, earn your salvation. Gospel says, someone else earned it for you. Good works says, God helps those who help themselves. Gospel says, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Good work says, if I live like this, I will be saved. Gospel says, I am saved, so I think I'll live like this. Good works is spelled D-O. Gospel is spelled D-O-N-E. Do you believe this message? Is all your faith in Jesus Christ if you're not sure about that or you sense, oh man, I've really been trusting in myself, my own religiosity, but now you have come to see that he took a body in order to die for our sins. If you've come to that point, if the Spirit is enlightening your mind and touching your heart, then maybe you want to pray and commit yourself in faith to Jesus. Maybe you could pray something like this, Dear Lord, I have had faith in myself, my own good deeds, to earn eternal life. But your word says that all my good deeds cannot take away my sin. But Jesus can. He took my sin when he died on the cross, and I trust him. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to take a body to die for us, to do what we could not do for ourselves. Forgive our debt, heal our sickness, emancipate our slavery, adopt us into the family. Thank you, Lord. We do believe. Amen.